Welcome to Fintech Insider. It's a Starling takeover. Coming to you live from Starling's new offices in Finsbury Square, I'm Megan Kaywood, Chief Platform Officer. Joining me from Starling today on the show, we have Jason Mott, Head of Customer Analytics. Say hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. And we have Sarah Guha, our Product Director. Say hi, Sarah. Hi. So also joining us rather surprisingly is David Brer and Simon Taylor, who you may know from this podcast. Say hi, guys. Hello. Oh, hello. All right, let's get on with the show. Thank you very much, Megan. What a fantastic intro and great to be here in this brand shiny new office. You guys have got a lot going on and you've had a lot going on. But for those that don't know, Sarah, Starling's one of the leading challenger banks in the UK. But how would you describe Starling and maybe how would your community describe who you are? So Starling is a, a we're a new mobile bank. Um, we essentially help our customers see their money in, in a completely new way. So I think traditionally we've all become accustomed to everything to do with our banks being a bit of a struggle and there being lots of friction, whether it's opening an account, which can take six to ten weeks, or simply just getting a statement and understanding you know, where you're spending your money. Um, Starling changes that, essentially. Um, it's a hassle-free way of doing your everyday banking. It's on your mobile, so it's convenient. Um, and we give you a view of the data and your spending so that you can actually start to make sensible decisions about where you're spending. So here's the thing, though. Our co-founder, Jason, often talks about people going, ah, but, but my bank's already got an app. I, I don't need a new app. But like, what's, what's the difference between being able to see your data and being able to understand it? Is there really something that your users are telling you when they use it that's, that's a little bit different to just seeing a list of transactions? So I think the obvious one is the fact that you see all your transactions in real time. And that seems to be like one of the most simple things. And we kind of take it for granted now that we're all Starling customers. You mean, um, you mean Batch isn't going to be the future, really? <laughs> batch to the future is a blog post in that. <laughs> Surprisingly not. We're sad to banks. announce it. Yeah. <laughs> Traditional banks are shaking in there, like literally, because that's where most of them are based on, which is yeah. terrifying for them. But um, it's super interesting. Sorry, go on. No, you're absolutely right. So I think just seeing your transactions in real time, um, it kind of takes us to that first step, which is really just awareness. So you make a transaction, you see it coming through, you can see how much you spent that day. Um, and for us, that's kind of the first part of customers really understanding, um, you know, you know what their current situation is. And another thing is that the mobile app for us is the primary interface with the customer. So we're not simultaneously trying to maintain a mobile app and branches and a website and you know all of these different things we have uh, one way in which the customers interact with the the consumer bank account so if something goes wrong you don't say walk into a branch because there are no branches it has to work yeah absolutely you know but um that provides one channel that we can concentrate on and you know we know that our traffic is coming through that channel and that's where our focus is rather than just having an app tacked on the side yeah jason that's an interesting point because the having an app and focusing on it i think are are two very different pieces and the small details in user experience and where you put something on the screen can really make a difference and uh you guys have launched now in the uk you have a banking license so you've uh been around tell us a little bit about that journey of of kind of getting a banking license and launching with your first few customers now and it's a real product it's a real bank maybe maybe expand a little bit on that yeah, sure. So, um, so yeah, we've been we launched on uh, iOS app and Android app at the same time. So, been in the app stores about uh, 12, 13 weeks or so now. I think the initial response has been really, really good. We've already been featured by companies like Witch, like Money Saving Expert, saying that one of the best travel um, debit cards to have. 
main reason is we don't charge things like fees. Um, so all of our customers have been giving really good feedback and so far so good. Um, I think up until this point, um, we, we've taken quite a sort of strategic move really to focus only on our current account and we haven't launched you know a product to our customers until that point so we've invested a lot of time on our infrastructure the features that we wanted and we're now actually using that feedback that we're getting from customers to improve it and and to to make the experience better for everyone so again to the point sarah that you make and to the point that jason made is it's mobile only it's highly focused and it's just a current account so therefore as a result and i say just i mean not not in a derogatory term i mean it's focused specifically on being at what the u.s would call a checking account this is where your money goes in and out it's where you're dealing with your recurring bills it's where your day-to-day life exists from a financial standpoint and it's really focused on being the best in the world at being that is that fair yeah no i would definitely say that it's we want to be the you know best current account out there um we want people to look at us and say i need a way to manage my money to check that my day-to-day finances are correct that the the right things are coming in the right things are going out at the right times and i need to be able to look back and see you know what those things were when i've forgotten you know what i've paid out or what i've got in and and how does that differ from the incumbent sarah is that something where that's harder to do historically I think compared to incumbents, probably not. No, I mean, they've obviously got, you know, lots of banking services. And, and really what we've tried to do is to offer that same basic level of service to our customers. I think it's where it sets us apart from, you know, other fintech companies. Um, I think where we've been able to offer things like faster payments, direct debit, statements, customer service, um, it, it really makes us a viable option as a primary bank account. Um, and what we're seeing is that lots of customers who currently are banking with some of the incumbents, they won't switch or move to another bank account unless it has that basic level of, um, of service. So we saw that as really important and our commitment to that, I think, is what sort of sets us apart from um, some other challenger banks and then other fintech companies, which are, are offering really just, um, you know, card services. Yeah, you guys have been killing it. Honestly, like the like every week on the news, we're like, mm. like Starling releases another thing, you know, like just the volume of stuff that's coming out now is phenomenal oh yeah i was gonna say we're really proud that i think we've got a couple of firsts under our belt i think it's fair to say so obviously we're the first um current account to launch but also the the first have apple pay as a challenger bank we have in-app provisioning as well which is a first for retail banks in the uk so we're, we're kind of hoping to keep that up really we've got android pay coming soon as well so a little bit of um industry jargon there pull pull out what in-app provisioning is for me because that's actually pretty cool Yes, yes, it is cool. Um, so in-app provisioning is the feature or the functionality to add your Starling card um, directly into your Apple wallet by tapping a button within the within the Starling app. So you don't need to go into Apple wallet and actually scan the debit card in order to add it to your wallet. You just simply tap a button and it goes through. So it, it is really quite quick to do. Nice and one clicky. It doesn't sound like my bank experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the point is even the features that are on par with what traditional banks offer. The whole point is that it's a completely different experience. The type of ease of use, intuitiveness, seamlessness to access those and to complete those different pieces like signing up for the bank, sending a payment, provisioning Apple Pay. All of a sudden it's an entire entirely different, more simple experience. And that's what we're really looking to achieve. And it's also, it allows us to do exciting things such as, for example, if you think about it, if you've got your app 
and you can provision into your Apple wallet from within your app, you don't actually need the physical card. It doesn't need to be there. You can just, you know, have a virtual card, as it were, tap a button and it goes into your Apple wallet and then you can start paying from there and you could see from that how cards might one day eventually maybe start to decrease in number eventually but then with cash and everything that's a whole nother another topic it's really interesting to me that you guys as a startup have approached this from a well we're going to focus on what we're going to win at and once we've got that we're going to focus on which channel we're going to win in and that's going to be where we where we are but you're also the dare I say it, the geeks who love this finance stuff. So you're kind of, you've, you've kind of got this like, we're a startup, we've got the energy, but we know enough about banking to be able to build something really focused. How have you found being in a smaller company? Is that more of an enabler or has that been difficult? And what, what's the, what are the trade-offs looking like from, from your perspective? Jason? It's definitely an enabler. So what you see around you, uh, and the listeners unfortunately can't see around them, is an office um, where everyone who works at the bank is in this office, on this floor. So that includes um, things that other banks traditionally outsource, maybe like their IT function or their contact centre. It's all in the same office. That means if there's uh, something goes wrong, then there's m- it's much easier for people to talk to each other and coordinate. It's much easier for someone with an idea to come forward and say, ah, you know, we want to implement that, but we need the help of this other group of people. You can just walk across the office and talk about it. You don't need to go through, you know, a a global meeting where, you know, you're contacting people in this country and that country to discuss what you want to do. So, you know, being in a smaller company definitely allows you to be more dynamic and implement ideas. So you don't need a 13 by 13 matrix of committees to sign off on the governance committee for the committee committee governance governance. Uh, That that we've decided is... Probably not necessary. No, you know, it's you can see you still have controls, obviously, and you still have people having overview of stuff and review of stuff. But actually, it's safer having everyone in one building because that means that things aren't likely to fall through the cracks. You don't get that sort of argument where people say this went wrong. Whose responsibility is it? And you get a fight between, you know, two different sites in two different locations who are saying, well, it's your responsibility no it's your responsibility and having this very small and collaborative approach also kind of reflects that idea that within development you get to a place where adding more developers or adding more people actually doesn't increase speed it actually can just start slowing things down so keeping it at this size that we have right now has really enabled us to move fast but also to the point of focus it's really important that we're very clear on what it is that we're trying to achieve and focus on doing that It reminds me of, in Steve Jobs' book, he talks about how his success wasn't just determined by all of the things that he decided to do, all of the great innovative ideas that he had, but all of the things that he said no to. So focus isn't just figuring out what to say yes to, but it's also around what that you just won't do. And being able to really clearly identify that and deliver on that differentiating feature set is really important and key to what we do. Uh, so it's almost like the, the the scale and focus becomes an advantage because the larger organization has so many things to worry about and every single person has 15 projects that they're across and the, you're sort of... Uh, shifting your focus across all of those and you and there's actually a trade-off of like the more things you try and do the more you try and uh, balance those the, the the less you get well and, and it's a an interesting one when you become 
nobody's accountable for something not happening. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem in many incumbents, actually, you know, finding people who will just sort of get shit done in uh, in that mentality is the the sort of move on this. Everyone can say no, but nobody can say yes. Indeed. Like how much, because obviously a lot of things that we've just talked about are sort of interesting features, but how much of this is about tonally that you guys are, because everything that I see coming out is very a very different tone and you guys are engaging customers in a very different way than one of the incumbent banks. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think compared to the incumbent banks who traditionally their model has been about cross-selling different products or different services to a customer who perhaps comes in with the current account initially, we focus much more on the customer and, and actually what is useful for them. So we, as we said, we're focusing on the current account. We're not necessarily going to try and have um, an insurance product, a savings product, and then cross-sell that um, to them. We'll focus on that product and then let other partners and other services then offer that to them. So I'm sure Megan can talk a little bit more about the marketplace. The other thing I think is just that focus on user experience and, and convenience. So we we want to make it as um, hassle-free for a customer to actually do their banking. And so by that, the decisions that we make, the design decisions, the feature decisions that we make are always based around whether we are you know, one, giving customers more control of their banking. Two, is it really easy easy to do? And is it fair as well? So, you know, things around our pricing and our charges, you know, we don't want to be the same as an incumbent bank in that respect. And I think it's different in tone because the strategy is different, right? So the, the strategy here is, I hear from a lot of bankers from larger organizations, well, if it's just a current account, if it's just a checking account, how will it ever make money? But you actually start alluding there to two things that are, you, you're turning that question on its head and saying, well, actually, no, because of that focus we are strong and our tone can be different because we're not trying to gouge with fees we're actually trying to work through a marketplace as a way of that's a that's a revenue generator for us so megan it might be worth talking to the marketplace that sarah alluded to here and and just explaining what that is first and foremost definitely so to your point so on revenue there's the fact that one because we don't offer branch locations we're very focused on delivering it via mobile we have a different operating model but then additionally because we don't want to do full service banking we're instead adopting a market place model that also gives us different revenue streams. So we focus on the current account and not having fees on that current account. But then when users want to open an ISA or they need insurance or a mortgage, the way that we do that is through the part of the app called the marketplace. And what that really is intended to do is to let users browse and select services from other financial providers. And that's our way of saying that there's a number of other apps who solve very particular needs exceptionally well. Instead of trying to reinvent that wheel and build out those services ourselves, instead we'll be able to connect you to other services and help you figure out which one in the market is right for you. So to begin with, when we launch, it'll be a bit of a manual process. So we'll have different partners integrated, but it'll be up to the customers to choose um, and select what's right for them. In the future, what we're looking to do, though, is to create this more of a platform. And by that, what I mean is we have more data and we have more partners. We can make it increasingly intelligent. So that way, we could let any number of partners plug into this platform. We could let those partners bid in real time to service each customer requirement. And then with our customers... If they're using Starling as their primary account, we have insight into their spending. So if you can automatically do an affordability assessment that ladders up to what types of credit they would be eligible for, then when they go into the marketplace and they look for a loan or they look for a mortgage, then without having to fill in all of those forms, we can automatically pre-approve them and let the providers on the back end bid 
for that customer's business. And so it creates this competitive marketplace, which in an ideal world will be healthy and beneficial to the partners in the marketplace because there's such a pool of people looking for their services there and great for our customers who are looking for what's the right product for me, what's the best price that I'm eligible for given um, my particular financial situation. And that's really what we're looking to build out is transparency and access and choice. Um, but enabling people to connect with others rather than Starling building that out themselves. So, so the way I'd experience that as a user is I would be using your mobile app. I'd be looking at my mobile app. I'd be looking at my transactions. And there's a tab or there's a feature in there that says marketplace. And within that, I have offers for loans. I have offers for ICEs. I have offers for all kinds of things that might be produced by people that are not for Starling. Either they're partners of yours, potentially, that you have a relationship with them. But much like I go on to um, confused.com or any of the price comparison sites, uh, money dashboard, whoever they are. I go to one of those price comparison sites today and I look through who should I work with, except I have to enter all of my data. I have to tell them everything about me and maybe then I have to go out for a credit check and it takes 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe 45 minutes before I can even get some car insurance or any basic financial product. But if they're a partner with you guys and I've got your app, then it's much faster because you guys have already got all of that data. You can provide it all to them. So it would, for me, be much more seamless because I'm using my app. Do I want to uh, shop for car insurance? Yeah, okay, here are some offers. Would I like to get it? Yeah, send them the information. And it all kind of happens in the background and I get the stuff I need via email a lot faster. Is that kind of the dream that yeah, we're going Exactly. And then it's not only that bit of it, but then we don't leave them there. So we have that partner feed data back in. So then the customer has a view of it ongoing. So it all of a sudden becomes a hub for your financial life. So you don't need all these different apps or different sites that you have access to. You can get a high level view of that all from within Starling. So it streamlines that setup because we can share the data over. We can help them access and sign up for those products. And then after they begin using them, they can monitor and have information to that ongoing from all from within Starling. It feels more concierge, right? So it feels like it's moved truly into the mobile age because I think the price comparison sites have kind of largely sat in the web era where like if I'm going to go shop around for a financial product I wait till I'm at my laptop so that I can enter all the data and I can find the stuff in my email that I need and I can get to be able to do that on my phone just seems to be a lot more convenient and, and a lot better but it sounds like you're moving a lot of data around in order to do that and you know you can't escape the open banking conversation wherever you are in the world. In Europe, we talk about PSD2 a lot, um, the, the regulation around open banking. But do you guys see yourselves having a head start on that with a marketplace strategy with APIs? And, and why would you say that's the case? Definitely. So before open banking came out last year, we'd actually already started building out our API, um, laddering up to PSD2, the requirements that they had set out. And the whole point is that we believe customers own their data. And if they want to share that with another particular partner, then we just want to help them to do that securely. So that was always our vision to enable customers to own that and share that and to, to connect with other services. Yeah, my data is sitting in my app, but if I'm giving it to somebody else, I want to know it's secure. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's a few different elements to that. So the reason why the government actually came up with PSD2 and open banking is because customers were already sharing their data. It was just via screen scraping, which is a common usage, but it's not a very secure way of sharing your data. So part of it was just recognizing that customers own their data, but also they need to be able to share it securely, thus Without APIs. necessarily giving away their username and password to a third party to their banking app, which is not particularly secure. Exactly. So we use an OAuth 2 flow, which basically will show the user um, that we're going to connect to another app and ask them to authorize that data flow, but they don't have to enter in their username or password. It's just done automatically. So that feels a lot like connecting with Facebook or log in with Twitter. If you've ever done that anywhere around the internet, you click something, you authenticate with your Twitter password or with your Facebook password or whatever your favorite app is here. And it, it comes up as this sort of 
pop-up piece, I enter my details, boom, yes, I authorize it, and on I go. It's Definitely. A- and that's what we've already launched today. So we already have a full open API that allows public a- applications to be built on top of it. So it's all the way from read-only transaction data to instructing payments via the API. So the vision of open banking is something that we've launched this year, and we have a number of different partners who have launched applications on that. Moneybox most recently entail. Um, and the marketplace is really just the next phase of that, where it's not just people building on top of our API, but then bringing that back into the Starling app to help customers to access and search and find those integrated applications. We uh, we actually had the tail guys in last week talking about their experience using it, and they're like glowing, so like really, really positive. That would have been really awkward if I'd said anything other than that, <laughs> then, it? But, uh, but, no, but no, they're really, really positive. That's and great. There's yeah. something really nice about that idea that a lot of the organizations that are in the um, PSD2 open banking, CMA9 conversation are arguing about the, the regulation might be too vague, what does the API need to look like, how should we do it? There are a lot of real challenges with that. There's something to be said for going, well, here's what we think it looks like. Let's put it in the market and get some partners working with it and getting on the front foot. But Jason, that um, leaves us some challenges in terms of like there's interesting ways of using data, but how do you make sure you're on the right side of being in the customer's benefit for that? Because you could totally advertise to them and market to them to, to their eyeballs. How, how are you gaining their trust on that? So I think it's a, a very cultural thing. We're starting with the idea that customers own their data and we are helping them manage it and organize it but we're not we're not the owners of their data so we're not taking their data and then using it for our own purposes and saying well we've gained this fantastic insight about the customer but we're not going to share it we're instead going to use it to try and sell them things or trick them into something that means that they have to pay fees or what have you we are sitting here saying we've got this data let us share it with you and use that so that you can gain insights about uh, what what your financial life is like there's something really nice about actually giving people the control as a technology inside their app versus writing terms and conditions that say in theory you have control if you write to us within 90 days and blah 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 i've seen a lot of organizations tease and seize their way out of these regulations when actually building the control into the app is something you can do when you focus on being an app and focus on being a marketplace organization again the strategic choices allow you to focus on that to a certain degree yeah it's and a lot of the um the stuff with the apis and the marketplace is the same thing we started out with this attitude that we want to open it up and make it all obvious and so on so we haven't sat there going you know do we open up this particular feature do we not you know and having that discussion back and forth instead you can do pretty much anything that you can do through the app through the apis so we've just opened it all out and allowed people to come in and gain access to that data and obviously when you do it through a partner you have to gather permission from the customer to do that first Um, but you know that is I think the future of where data and data management is going and that that's going to be really hard for the uh, traditional banks sort of to to react to to a certain degree the amount of organizations where you'll sort of sit and have conversations about who owns the customer who owns the data um, which is just a circular argument you know I think actually if you try to sort of enact ownership then inevitably you lose don't you yeah absolutely and I think that if anyone can be said to own the data, it is the customer. You know, it's their data, it's information about them. So 
um, we have to go and seek permission from them to use it rather than you know the other but way. But I really do think, Jason, the the value add here is because uh, a lot of banks, I think there there are no banks on the planet that would disagree that their customers own their own data. Um, I think there are probably executives at larger banks listening to this screaming, "We agree with you. We think that they um, own their data too." What's harder, I think, for those large organisations is to galvanise around giving the granularity of control inside an app, which has a roadmap of twenty four months. In in front of it full of feature functionality for a whole different bunch of products because they've got a war on every front they're trying to offer every product to every type of customer all through one application and and that lack of focus becomes almost the the drawback but but i can't let you go further jason without bringing up the ai question right i've, I've got to say are there any current applications of artificial intelligence or machine learning or better yet deep learning within uh, stalling happening right now uh so not yet but that is definitely a um, focus for us in in the future. Can I just say, as a challenger bank, to say that's something we want to look at in the future, but right now we've got other things to focus on? Yes. Rather than saying, here's our PR of the thing that we're never going to use that we did in AI, it's it's actually, here's here's why we're not looking at it yet. Love that. Skeptical, Simon. So so young, so <laughs> skeptical. <laughs> it's almost like I've worked in an innovation team. Love you guys, though. So you, you're saying that, uh, you know, there are buzzwords thrown around that uh, people... For, for PR purposes, yeah, without absolutely. question. Uh, and I do think a lot of it's well-intentioned, without question. But I guess, Sarah, this brings me to, to the point that what does the bank of the future look like in your eyes? Where, and where do you guys want to get Starling to? Because we talked about maybe AIs in your future, but you know, you've got a base now with... UK current account holders um, that can do uh, sort of things within their app. Um, you've got faster payments access. It's a fully functioning, pretty much current account. Uh, where does it go from here? Um, so I think at Starling, we talk, particularly from a customer point of view, we talk a lot about offering uh, customers the opportunity of a healthy financial life. Um, and ultimately, that's that's got to be a vision that you you want to see, you know, not only being available for customers in the UK, but, you know, looking at Europe and looking beyond that. Um, so you will have seen in the press that we are able to passport to Ireland, and that's absolutely on our, on our plan. I think, what does the actual bank of the future look like? I think as some of the pillars that I, I kind of pull out are, you know, giving customers control, whether it is about seeing data or the the tools and the features to 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 do things that they traditionally would have had to have called up a call centre for and spent hours, you know, fighting a um, an automated phone line for. Um, it is things like convenience and and actually having a product and a bank account that is connected to some of the other services and the um, the apps that you use in your normal day and which we're accustomed to doing. It's ultimately one that kind of like banking kind of should be relatively seamless and be done in the background and that you know this notion that it's a it's a real hassle it, it kind of disappears and just disappears as with all the other services that we use on our phone banking's going to disappear that sounds sounds good well, i think well, i hope not <laughs> moving into back, background sounds sounds really really good the financial times guides you through complex issues in divisive times don't settle for black and white when you need the full perspective turn to ft.com become a subscriber today Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank, and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. 
For more details, visit marketplace.terminos.com. This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by SmartDX, a smart communication solution. The days of managing capital markets documentation using Word docs and emails are over when you use SmartDX in its innovative, collaborative negotiation environment, built by the industry for the industry. SmartDX simplifies drafting, negotiation, and execution of all capital markets documentation for all asset classes and product types while giving you transparency, control, and digital data that can be extracted at any point in the process. Learn more at www.smartcommunications.com backslash SmartDX. I guess that probably leads us to a, so who are you looking up to then to a certain degree? Because I, I guess, um, you know, all of the things that you've just referred to there feel like laterals into other industries to a certain degree. Um, well, you know, learning from, you know, what's happening in retail or, uh, in, uh, sort of any of the other industries that we sort of feel are probably leading from a, either from a technological or just from a how to talk to customers properly. Um, what do you get inspiration from? Definitely. I would say that when you look across the kind of world of consumer applications right now, there's just been a very high bar that's been set with um, the type of experiences that customers have now that hasn't been matched by banking applications. So on step one, in terms of user experience, there's definitely others that we look to from consumer apps, um, Uber, and then even getting into the kind of intuitiveness of Google. But then from a tech perspective, there's so much inspiration to be gained from one, how you structure the technology, the decisions you make, even in terms of like, I get really passionate about APIs, but it's really fundamentally change the way that software is created and brought to market and to bring that type of lens into banking completely shifts not only the the technology stack but also the business model um, and the type of offering that we can have for our customers it is entirely different i think there's something to be said about i imagine the teams here watching the apple um, developer conference or google io and really looking for those new features coming out from a user experience standpoint looking for those new design standards coming out and there'll be a lot of people in, in other banking organizations working in ux roles and ux UI teams thinking, oh God, I want to go use that tomorrow. And you guys, because you're focused on that being your shop front, would do nothing but focus on that. Whereas for them, it's on a roadmap somewhere else. And again, I think that that draws the contrast. But then, hey, they got millions of customers, so they do have something going, I guess. Using the word word focus a lot, aren't we? But uh, that seems like a consistent, I think we're sort of nailing a title right here. Yeah. Okie dokie. So um, I guess key question for, for all of you really is, is what hurdles have you found on this road because it can't all be rose tinted or was it Megan was it all rose tinted it's all it rose tinted I've just been yeah just uh, frolicking through a field of flowers it's just been good the whole fields time fields of wheat yeah, everywhere yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah fields of wheat yeah you've seen my Instagram but yeah no there, it's not completely without hurdles With as with any startup you face challenges from tech decisions to design decisions to you know as you scale um, there's just different I think at each point of the journey you're going to find different challenges in that but that's just kind of to be expected with launching any application um i don't know would you elaborate on that yeah absolutely so um we've encountered challenges with things such as uh features we've picked out that we thought hey this will get a bit of use we'll see you know whether people like it and then had a massive take up of you know of that so uh, it's a good problem to have but it's you know it's still a problem the current account switching service for example we you know we thought ah one or two people will use this and then loads of people started switching in it's always a nice problem to have yeah absolutely it's always a nice problem to have i mean 
when you when you grow, you know, anytime you scale uh, an organization rapidly and, you know, a software platform rapidly, you're going to start finding odd things that you didn't expect where, you know, something doesn't perform correctly or, uh, you know, you need to tweak something in the code to make it run faster. Have you put something out there that you thought people would love and just nobody used it so you've turned it off? I don't think so. I don't think we've had that just yet. Um, I would say that we're quite early in the market. And so um, at this point, we're just getting that data and getting understanding. So there obviously are features I think people are using less, but we've certainly not turned anything off um, at this point. We absolutely do use data to prioritise other things, though. Um, so, I mean, we definitely have been doing that and, and pushing things forward. I think the um, current account switching, which Jason mentioned, is a good one. So we had actually made the decision um, that we would push that out on iOS first in order just to see what the uptake is. It's a service that, um, you know, people traditionally people haven't used an awful lot, to be honest, because people don't really move banks very often. Um, we did get a lot of... Yeah, there's not that much difference between them, so why would you? But actually, we got a lot of people really interested in it. And then our Android users, you know, really kind of screaming out saying, you know, I want the service available so that I so can So for the listeners in well. not in the UK, current account switching service would be... So current account switching service is a, a service that is offered by Bax, which is which is one of the payment schemes in the UK. It's a service which offers a seven day guaranteed switch from one bank account to another. So you re- you give in your bank account details and request to move from that bank to the other, and essentially the service takes care of moving your balance, your your payment arrangements, um, and then also redirecting any payments to your new bank. So in theory, I shouldn't have to worry about it. It would it would just all be taken care of, concierge, but it's. It- it's it's not necessarily had the biggest take up, but for you guys, it appears it has. Exactly. So it's in theory. So I think the service that banks have offered, although it has the seven day guarantee, actually behind the scenes, you've got people walking across the office from one desk to another to process paper requests to move payments. Um, and we're actually one of the, um, well, we are the first bank to to offer the service on mobile and for the whole thing to be automated. And I think there's a classic example of of banking industry response to regulation, which is regulation comes along that wants to do a thing for consumers. You can switch bank accounts really easily now. Banking industry says, hold up, I don't have anywhere near the infrastructure to do that. I don't know how to automate it. Let me just give you a time window in which it will be done, and I'll try and get it done within that SLA, which is a very different approach to I will build and automate the answer because that's what my skill set is to actually now I'll just kind of fudge it and and promise it you by then. Mm. And this, this, I suppose, leads us on to another one of the uh, the uh, snags we've hit along the way, which is um, interaction with the rest of the uh, banking framework and the rest of the banking industry and suppliers um, who provide things, you know, things for us. Um, we've hit snags with connecting to them, with you know, making sure they give us the service that we need to service our customers. And when something goes wrong with that we don't like to blame them for the problem you know we chose them as a supplier so we are responsible for that and we are responsible for the service to our customers you know so we have to take the hit when they go down and you know try and make sure that the uh, relationship gets back on track and they provide us with the uh, the service that we need 
definite challenges. Uh, you don't live in a vacuum. There are other people that help you deliver your service and making sure that, uh, yeah, you don't uh, hang them out to dry every time something goes wrong is, is, is certainly... There's a fine line between transparency of this is where the issue was and uh, kind of that uh, PRE like, hey, there is an issue, we take responsibility for it um, and, and still having the trust of customers. I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch in the future because people seem to like the Uber transparency but like you say you've got the and by uber i don't mean the company i mean like extreme transparency um but <laughs> they, they've really spoilt that saying haven't yeah they? <laughs> they, they have they've ruined it they've ruined the word they have god damn them uh but then you don't want to yeah hang your supplies out to dry it makes complete sense so as we get um onto you know kind of building the stalling of the future how do you keep everybody motivated how do you make sure everybody's pushing for something new the how do you keep that feel and that culture alive I think when you're in a company this early stage that's pushing to do something this big, that it naturally draws a certain type of applicant. And we're small enough. I mean, we're over 100 people, maybe 115 now, but we're still, that's small as far as banks go. And so the teams, it's easy to hire people who are equally excited, I would say. Because when you look at it, people have been innovating in fintech, you know, over the past like five years or so pretty intensely, but no one's really been able to innovate on banking. That was the thing at the core that no one, like, I mean, you have Metro, who's a challenger bank, but like they weren't innovating in technology um, at this level. And so it's really only now in recent years when these new companies have the ability to get a banking license. Um, So I think it draws a certain type of person who's interested and passionate about really being able to innovate at the core of financial services. But what would you say, Sarah? I I would say, so if we go to actually the main customer insight, which is actually the fact that we have many, many, many needs and really, really, really high expectations. Um, and that kind of means that for us, like our, our job is never really done. Like there's always going to be something extra um, that we can do to make it better. So I think that certainly motivates me and probably a few other within the company. Um, and I think that that's so fundamental that this is never done, you know, and actually most... Like, like not just banks, every other organization thinks in projects and then the requirements that I've got and casting off as many as I can to hit that delivery date. So almost like delivery is most people's objective, not delivering anything of, of value, which yeah. is just yeah. mind blowing. And, you know? and the other thing I would add is that I think actually expectations for banking over the last 10 years has sort of gone along on a kind of flat line to a certain extent and in the last year since the challenger banks in the UK have been around that expectation literally has soared so what we've seen since we've already gone into the app stores is you know we thought we would have time to add another fe- a feature in the future or you know we'll do that six months down the line we'll do that nine months down the line and before you know it you've got customers talking to us on a community saying like when are you having that when are you bring this and you you see the sort of real need appearing and you want to kind of deliver to it and and you know hold to our promises it is yeah it is but it it, it's just such a good example of how like the customer need is just constantly there and you want to be able to deliver for them i mean the the software and projects together um not working together has uh, been a well-known problem in software you know software engineers don't like projects because it's you sort of you get to the end of the project and you go but it's not done yet i haven't finished it off i haven't you know and it will never be finished you know i need to you know keep improving keep iterating and so on so the whole concept of the project and program is not designed for people who i think have specialism in having ever written software uh, or experience in it it's designed for people who want to manage budgets and manage accounts but it's, it's an accounting way of, of viewing the world but it isn't actually a, a customer-centric way of viewing the world or a, a software-centric 
way of viewing the world. So how do you change how you incentivize and align people? You talked about 100 to 115 people. And if you look at the public statements about how much Starling has raised from its investors, that makes you like a medium-sized program or product launch inside a bank, except you're starting from scratch with different types of recruitment criteria, not just the people that are already in the organization or the regular consulting partners and SI partners that you would have. And you're also kind of galvanizing behind in giving people more creativity than they would otherwise have because they're not working amongst the with the existing app, with the existing customers, with the existing challenges. You can really start again. So that gives you a lot of uh, kind of, you don't have the millions of customers benefit, but you do have the, you can start again benefit. It's an interesting perspective it creates. Is it, is it about then you've created a brand that sort of people love you know like want to engage with you know you've created a community that people like none of the other banks i think can do that you know like i think that's the challenge you know you know to your point around starting from a negative place you know banks are kind of still starting from a negative place when it comes to branding rather than a positive one so i guess this would be really difficult to do in a big bank right I think that, yeah, I think that's really true. I think that's really true. We're, we've kind of, you know, been set up for success to a certain extent because we've come in saying we're challenging the way that we're doing and, and here's a nice experience. I think what, what we have at the moment though is customers who, you know, arguably a few of them will be early adopters and typically they're interested in fintech they're interested in what we're doing um and one of the biggest challenges we'll have is is actually scaling and growing more customers and actually reaching you know those who are not necessarily as technically savvy who aren't necessarily you know reading up about challenger banks but are just looking for a service to deliver what they want I think it's interesting that you guys have launched uh, a challenger bank and brand, I think, to David's point. And that brand gives you permission to do things that a larger organization using its existing brand might not be able to do. But I also notice, unlike some other fintechs, you don't define yourselves by not being big. You don't define yourselves by not being, quote unquote, those guys over there who do all this evil stuff. You just say, we think customers want these things and we're focused on those things. We're not going to define ourselves by tearing somebody else down. We define ourselves by being these things, which I think is, which is, is a positive message for the market yeah we're, we're a bank and and ultimately for us that that means that customers trust us mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a, a stamp of approval and the things like the the financial services protection and things like that that we'll be able to offer because we're a bank the things like security and assurances it all really is a is a positive thing um to you know yeah. Being a real bank means your money if it's in this the checking slash current account of starling it's insured it's actually insured it will stay there so i can put my uh my monthly salary into the stalling account and it's insured just the way it would be with any checking slash current account anywhere in the world we we don't really buy into this dichotomy of big and stable versus small and experimental and ethical you know we believe that you can be experimental ethical um you know helping customers get a great service and at the same time be stable secure and keep people's money safe And well, if you look at it, a number of our executives, not um, not to miss out, Anne, came from having a long career in banking. And it was very much having worked in banking and wanting to implement a lot of these different um, services and this experience for customers, but not being able to do so within the current parameters of technology and infrastructure and the size of the company. That was the motivation to start Starling. So I think probably having executives who came from that and worked alongside people who were equally passionate but just found it difficult within the current infrastructure um, probably gives us a different perspective maybe than those who are completely new um, new to it. I, I think those 
diverse backgrounds of people who've worked in banking because there are lots of people in large organizations delivering things who listen to the show who do a great job and do deliver for their customers without, without question but taking that type of talent and putting it in this sort of organization is, is very interesting but then i'm sure you've kind of got people that have come from other industries and, and a real mix of backgrounds and and that's created some strength so how have you gone about building that team and and how do you go about protecting the diversity that you have within this team I think a lot of it is about uh, hiring practices. So there is a tendency to hire people like yourself. Uh, so if you go into an interview and the person is like you, is you know similar to you, then uh, you will be more likely to hire them. So you've got to keep that in mind always and make sure that you recruit people who have the enthusiasm for uh, you know running a, a banking operation in a small environment like this one, but at the same time aren't exactly the same as you. They might have a different perspective on how they do it or just be you know different in terms of their gender, race, etc., I, I usually go for completely opposite to me, to be honest. I like intelligent, <laughs> like funny, <laughs> lovely hair. Yeah, all these things that I go for for other people. Yeah, I go for people who are good at things. <laughs> <or> just, <laughs> the list can go on. Yeah. I think in general, people tend to recruit people for the, for the jobs that you can't do as well so like knowing that you're an expert you're an expert in what you do but that you need you know lots of other people in your organization to do the other things as well um certainly my experience at starling is that you kind of come in and you don't know you're not going to know everything about um you know what we're doing in banking and technology you just got to be open and, and listen to what people are telling you and learn from it one of the things I find with a lot of startup cultures is they, uh, the founders try and hire people better than them. And as the founder of 11FS, I can tell you it's terrifying that nearly everybody, everybody in the company is better than me. And I'm like, oh, I constantly try to scramble. But it's a nice place to be is being surrounded by all of that talent. So it's openness, focus, like finally a reason to do seven-day switching. This is kind of probably a good place to wrap up, right? Well, I think I've got to ask Megan, though, where do people find out more about Starling? Yeah, so there's a few places. So, of course, starlingbank.com. You can check us out there. Um, we're quite active on social media, most notably probably um, on Twitter at Starling Bank or on Facebook, Instagram, all of those fun things. And, of course, you can download us in the App Store on iOS or Android. But, yeah, just search Starling Bank and you'll find us. Fantastic. And so thank you very much, Megan, Jason, Sarah, for being with us this week. Uh, that wraps us up for another FinTech Insider Insights show. Thank you to everybody listening to the podcast. Uh, you heard there where you can hear more about Starling. Uh, but do do us a favor as well. Do make sure that you tell your friends about FinTech Insider. Do make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And heck, leave us a review if you really like the show. The Starling show deserves a review, people. Definitely. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.